Hello everyone and welcome back to the Wicked Sports Podcast. Now, first I'd like to start off today with a little, what I like to call, if you don't know, now you know info. Please, if you listen to this podcast, download, subscribe, like, share, tell your brothers, tell your friends, tell your sisters, tell your mothers, tell your cousins, rate, review, if you think I suck, if you think I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, if you hate my voice, if you hate the sound quality, if you like my takes, if you think they're dumb, if you agree, please let me know, leave a review. Now today's episode, first thing we're going to do is get into our Super Bowl preview. Tomorrow's the big game between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Super Bowl 54, Uh, I'm going to go over the game, what I think about it, we'll go over offense, defense, both teams, a little bit of the matchups, then we'll get into the betting, Um, you know, get into the point spreads, money lines, some prop bets, what bets I like, what bets I don't like, Um, we'll give a quick, quick update on the Tom Brady speculation I I mean honestly I've I've been calling it the Tom Brady stupidity because it's just it's gotten out of hand and I mean this is coming from me who's a Patriots fan I mean I think it's ridiculous that this week we're leading up to the Super Bowl between in my opinion two great teams and a great matchup and you know people are just making their stupid statements about where they think Brady's gonna go then Brady Posts the cryptic picture on his social media, and that gets everyone up in arms, speculating this and thinking that. Uh, so I'll give my take on that. We'll have the moron of the day, which has to do with the Tom Brady speculation, and then I'll give a little bit of a recap of last night's Bruins game. Bruins game it was a solid game. Bruins pulled out the two-one win. So, all right, let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. Let's get ready to rumble! You know, I just I lo- love that ESPN theme song. But so, yeah, we're going to get into the Super Bowl. Like I said, Chiefs 49ers, Super Bowl 54 in Miami tomorrow. Um, I think the big thing going into this game that a lot of people are kind of making it out as is they see it as this great offense with the Kansas City Chiefs. 
against this great defense with the San Francisco 49ers. Now, in my opinion, I think the Chiefs as an offense is, I'd say, a lot better than the 49ers as a defense, just as like a whole. But my whole thinking throughout the playoffs was I think the 49ers as an all-around team have the most talent. Now, again, I didn't have a podcast at this point, so you can't fact-check me at all, but when the regular season ended before the playoffs started, I told my friends that the 49ers were going to beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. My thinking was on that was that when it came to the AFC, I thought that The Ravens, even though everyone thought they were the greatest thing since sliced bread, Lamar Jackson was changing the game. I I just, I did not believe in that team at all. They were way too cocky. They never got smacked in the mouth. They never had to play from behind. And I figured eventually a team would trip them up. I thought it was going to be the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game, but it didn't even need to get to that point because the Titans knocked them off. So I wasn't a believer in the Ravens. Even though I'm a huge Patriots fan, because they didn't get that first round by, they had to play wild card weekend. Again, granted, I didn't think they were gonna get knocked off the Titans, get knocked off by the Titans, but I didn't see them going to the Super Bowl. So take out the Ravens, take out the Patriots. Best team left in the AFC was the Chiefs. That's why I picked the Chiefs to go to the Super Bowl. When it came to the NFC, I picked the 49ers just because, like I said, I think. Overall, they have the most all-around talent in the league this year. From wire to wire, they were the best team. And if you look at their season, regular season, they lost only three games. All three games, they lost on the final play of the game. So, I mean, you know, we're talking a game of football, a game of inches. I mean, this team could easily be an undefeated team, an 18-0 team going into the Super Bowl. Now, you might say that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but, I mean, again, for a team that's 13-3, they lost three games on the season. They lost overtime, game-winning kick to the Seahawks at home. They lost a game-winning kick by the Ravens with time running out to end the game. And then they lost on a game-winning touchdown at home to the Falcons when Julio Jones caught that one that they thought he wasn't across the plane, but then they reviewed it and they realized he was. But again, for a team that only had three losses and they lost all three games on the final play, that just shows that they're such a great team that, I mean, you know, not only did they only have three losses, not only were they only by one score, but we're again, we're talking on the final play that, a team had to beat them. So we're talking about a team that, you know, again, the old cliche, you know, Patriots, Belichick says it all the time, you know, you got to play a 60-minute game. I mean, the 49ers, in my opinion, this year, they were the definition of it. Um, You know, I like the Chiefs. I do. I mean, who who wouldn't like their offense? Who wouldn't like Patrick Mahomes? Um, But the way I kind of see this whole thing with the Super Bowl going is going into the matchup, everyone looks at it as, well, you know, who's the who's the superstar player in this game? It's Patrick Mahomes. So everyone immediately is just going to take the Chiefs. 
they're going to see it as, well, they have the best player. They have last year's MVP. I mean, Mahomes didn't put up numbers like he did last year, but, I mean, he still had a phenomenal season, and that you know that's after dealing with that dislocated knee and an ankle issue during the season. So, and, I mean, as you can tell in the first two playoff games that they played in, I mean, the guy's on fire right now. He's clearly fully healthy. Going into this game, the injury report just came out. Um, it looked like there was about three or four players on each team that were dealing with injuries, but they all practice in full, so like there's literally no injury report for this game. So that's nothing you have to factor into when it comes to picking this game. Um, so like I said, I mean, I just, the way I kind of see it playing out is I, I think the 49ers are going to beat the Chiefs. I think another thing is I feel like a lot of people are underrating Garoppolo, um, you know, and it's and it's like anything else. I mean, people kind of go off of what they just saw, and, you know, you look at the two games in the playoffs, Garoppolo basically did nothing. I mean, he did nothing against the Vikings, did nothing against the Packers, and pretty much when, after he threw that pick to Kendricks against the Vikings in the divisional round, the 49ers didn't even really let him throw the ball. They just figured, out oh, we'll just run it, play it safe, but the thing was no one was stopping them. So, I mean, that's, in my opinion, that's a thing that you got to give Kyle Shanahan a lot of credit for, the head coach of the 49ers, because, I mean, usually, and especially a guy like Kyle Shanahan, which, you know, I think a lot of people kind of see him as that offensive-minded, young head coach guru type of guy, you know, a lot of those guys I feel like try and get cute, you know, whether it's a McVay or an Andy Reid, but he just saw these last couple of games as, there, you know, no point of getting cute. We're going to run the ball. If they can't stop it, we're just going to keep running it until they stop it. And if they can't, well, too bad. So, I mean, again, Garoppolo hasn't had to do anything in the two playoff games, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have the capability to step up and make the tough throws when he needs to. Um, I think one thing about Garoppolo that I like is he's always kind of been that big game type of player. I mean, you know, me being a Patriots fan, going back to when the Patriots drafted him, him being Brady's backup, you know, everyone always used to say that in practice, Garoppolo looked like hell. That was always what they said. He always looked awful. He looked terrible. He'd turn the ball over. But then, you know, when the Patriots were playing the preseason and Garoppolo kind of had to, you know, show everyone what he had, he played well. And then you look at when, you know, Tom Brady had to serve that suspension at the beginning of the season, you know, granted in the, what was it, second game, I mean, you know, Garoppolo got knocked out mid-game, so, I mean, he basically only played one and a half games, but, I mean, right there, he was the Patriots' starting quarterback for, you know, game one and half of game two, and, and he looked phenomenal. Um, so... You know, I think with the 49ers is, I mean, you know, I would say they're definitely a run-heavy team. You know, they they play off of the run, but when Garoppolo needs to make the throws, I think he does. Now, I think we also know with Garoppolo is he's prone, he's a little bit prone to turn the ball over, whether it's, you know, errant passes or not seeing the, the pass rush and getting strip-sacked, but... You know, I, again, in the big games, I think he's a type of guy that steps up. I mean, looking at this season, 
some of the biggest games for the 49ers, I mean, the one game that definitely sticks out in my mind was that game in New Orleans in the Superdome against the Saints where, you know, looking back on it, I mean, that was basically for the number one seed in the NFC. And, you know, I mean, he basically he went into a hostile environment and he looked phenomenal. He had his best game of the season. The team put up, I think, like 48 points. Um, you know, so again, great game. Then you look at that Sunday night game against Green Bay where, you know, the 49ers smoked Green Bay by 29 points. Again, I mean, you know, and in that game, Garoppolo didn't have to throw the ball too much. I think he only threw like 20 passes. But you look at his stats, he had about over... He had 253 passing yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers. And then you look at the final game of the season at Seattle, where, again, that game was for the number one seed again. Garoppolo, you know, he didn't throw any touchdown passes, but you look, he only had four incompletions. He didn't turn the ball over. So, again, you know, you can say whatever you want about Garoppolo, him not doing too much, and it's all the running game, which at this point I do agree with, but... It's nice to kind of have him in your back pocket where if you need to throw the ball in a big game, I think he has the ability to step up. So I I would not be surprised in the least if he steps up on Sunday because, I mean, let's be honest, there there's no way the 49ers are going to win this game by just running the ball. It's not happening. I mean, you know, the way I see it is Kansas City at the very least is going to put up 24 points I would say I mean I would say at minimum 24 points so if they're putting up 24 points there's no way the 49ers are just be able to run the ball the whole time so that's kind of the way I see it and with the Chiefs defense I mean you know I like their pass rush obviously they got a, a pretty solid defensive line um you know Frank Clark Chris Jones They've looked good, but the 49ers, I think, have a good enough line, and I think they have good enough weapons, and if they kind of play off the play action, I think Garoppolo will have an okay time throwing the ball. And again, that's if need be. So that's kind of the way I see things working out when it comes to the 49ers offense versus the Kansas City defense. Now, I think the the big matchup that everyone wants to see is, like I said, going into this game, Chiefs offense versus 49ers defense. Now, one thing I heard on the radio and I looked into a little bit was that the 49ers play a cover three defense. Now, you know, I'm not going to get into, you know, the all 22 and all that nonsense, but just to give you a basic understanding, they play a cover three defense. That is is exactly the type of defense that the Los Angeles Chargers play. The Chargers this year played the Chiefs twice, obviously, in division, you know, rivals. Mahomes had two, I think about two of the worst games that he had this season. Um, You look at his passing stats and... Yeah, I mean, both games, Patrick Mahomes threw under 200 yards. He had 182, and then and that was the game in Mexico, and then he had 174, the game in Kansas City, the last game of the season against the Chargers. So again, I mean, you're talking about a, a guy in Patrick Mahomes who just lights it up, 
with a flick of the wrist can throw the ball 60 yards down the field, throw it on the run, do it, do anything and everything that a quarterback could ever want to do. But again, going against that cover three type defense that the Chargers have, both games had under 200 yards passing. So I, I think that tells you a lot right there. Um, you know, so I think that gives the 49ers an edge. I think also the pass rush is another factor. Now, when you're talking about the Chargers, you got the two edge rushers. You got Ingram, you got Bosa. Well, with the 49ers, you got Bosa's brother, Nick, and then you got D Ford on the other side. So again, sort of the same type of defense. And like I said, that's what Mahomes had the most trouble with during the regular season. So I think that's a huge advantage for the 49ers, and I think that's something that a lot of people are overlooking because, again, you know, I feel like most people look at this this game, they see the glitz and the glamour of Patrick Mahomes, and, again, he's amazing. A- any and every team would want a Patrick Mahomes on their team as their quarterback for the next 15 years. I get that, and I 100% agree with that. But... You know, when you start looking into the game and looking at the teams as a whole, I think it's fairly easy to make a case that the 49ers are going to win this game. Now, kind of going off of that, we'll start getting a little bit into the the betting aspect of this game. Um, so, right now, the point spread for this game, the... 49ers are one-and-a-half-point underdogs. Now, again, obviously everyone uses different betting sites, all that, I understand. But the one I'm looking at right now, like I said, 49ers, one-and-a-half-point underdogs. And they got the over-under right now at 54. Um, against the spread this year, 49ers were 11-6-1, Chiefs were 12-5-1, so, I mean, that's pretty much a wash, and then we got money line for 49ers, we got plus 107, Chiefs minus 127, so again, I mean, the betting obviously is shaded towards the Chiefs, as I said, I think Patrick Mahomes is the biggest reason for that. Um, you know, again, he's the superstar. He's wh- who everyone wants to see. But like I said, I mean, I'm hammering the 49ers. Um, unfortunately, Massachusetts doesn't have betting, but luckily with my job this week, I was in New Hampshire, so betting's New Hampshire. <laughs> Betting is legal in New Hampshire, so I hopped on the app, placed the bet, killed it from there. Um, so got the the 49ers on the plus 107. Over under. Crazy as it may seem, I think I will go with the under. I think a lot of people are hitting the over on this one. Um, but again, I think that's a, the Chiefs, the Patrick Mahomes factor. They think the scoreboard's going to get lit up. But, I mean, looking back at last year, 
That over-under for Patriots-Rams Super Bowl 53 was 58. And as we all know, score ended up being 16. So, I mean, that was obviously a game that, you know, the gamblers betting the under didn't really have to sweat out. But 54 is still a fairly high number. Um, right now, I am leaning towards a 28-24 to San Francisco 49ers victory. That's what I'm leaning towards. 28, San Francisco, 24, Kansas City. Going with San Francisco, going with the under. Um, that's just kind of the way I see things with that. Um, now, getting into some of the, you know, prop bets and, you know... The ones I like to get into a little bit are kind of the player personal stats. You know, so whether we're talking about, you know, quarterbacks, how many yards in a throw, touchdown passes, completions, you know, running backs with rushing yards, touchdowns, players with receiving yards, all that sorts of things. Um, the one that I like is the Patrick Mahomes Total yards, okay? Now, again, right now, on the website that I am using, they have the over-under for Patrick Mahomes' passing yards at 299.5. Now, again, like I said, everyone's going to hammer that over because, you know, Patrick Mahomes, everyone thinks he's always at an easy 300 yards plus a game, which I find extremely interesting exactly as to why, you know, they put the 299.5 as his passing total. Um, I'm hitting the under with that. Like I said, Chargers play that cover three defense. Patrick Mahomes didn't even eclipse 200 yards in two games against them. So I think it's a pretty safe bet that Patrick Mahomes will be under 300. Plus, I think a lot of people are underestimating the fact of 49ers have a great pass rush. So I think that the Chiefs are going to try and slow them down a little, go with the running game. Again, I know the Chiefs aren't about their running game. I know it's all about shotgun and Mahomes throwing it all over the field, but I think they're, like I said, they're going to have to run the ball. And, I mean, you know, as we all know, say whatever you want about Andy Reid, you know, he, he's never won the big game, you know, or, you know, not the best clock manager, as we all know, but, you know, he knows how to run an offense. And, you know, I think we all know his... His first plan is always to throw the ball, but he'll run the ball too, and I think they're going to look at that 49ers pass rush. They're going to look at the two edge rushers with Ford and Bosa, and in order to slow them down, they're going to have to run the ball a little bit, which also will obviously decrease Mahomes' passing yard total. So I am hitting that under. So the three bets I placed, again, up in New Hampshire because Massachusetts for some reason, still hasn't passed sports gambling. 
I went with the 49ers on the money line, plus 107, the under, and Patrick Mahomes on the under for total passing yards. Um, Now, just kind of going off of that, Jimmy G, passing yard total for the over-under, they got it at 237.5. Um, you know, that's one that, honestly, I would not touch. Just because, like I said, with the 49ers, they're a running team, and they're going to run it. And if they're running it well, they're going to keep running it. So, obviously, that would make the passing yard total go down. But, on the other hand... We all know the 49ers got some great weapons in the passing game. I mean, you know, and not only are they great weapons, but they're also game breakers. I mean, the yards after the catch are pretty unreal. So, you know, you got Debo Samuel, he's a burner. Kittle can just bowl over people for a 60-yard touchdown. Emmanuel Sanders can go deep. So, you know, when you're looking at three guys that can easily break off, you know, 50-yard plays, and even, you know, you got to look at the screen game, too. Like, a guy like a Breda or a Mozart that could, you know, again, take a screen pass for, you know, a 20-plus-yard play. I just wouldn't touch that bet just because, like I said, I mean, I, I think it's a very hit-or-miss bet. Another one I wouldn't touch is anything with 49ers running backs do not touch, whether it's Rushing yards, touchdowns, anything like that, do not touch those bets because the way the 49ers play it is they love to run the ball, but they're also a team that plays the hot hand. They say that all the time, the 49ers play the hot hand. So just because Mostert had like 220 yards last game and four touchdowns had an unreal game, do not touch that. I repeat, do not touch that because... Again, you got to remember, Coleman got knocked out of the game, um, you know, with an injury. I think he had a separated shoulder. So, I mean, you know, who knows if he's healthy. If he is, I could see him, like, you know, again, I mean, Mostert, they have him for rushing attempts, 16 and a half is the over-under, which, again, I just, I would not touch that at all. Um, Rushing yards, 67 and a half. I think that's kind of low, so to to be honest, if you wanted to go with the over, I don't think that's crazy, but right now it's at minus 165, so that's that's not even worth it. Um but, you know, again, I mean, like I said, you know, Mostert, Coleman or Breda could end up being a superstar and could possibly end up being the MVP in this game. So, I mean, you know, you're kind of picking out of a hat to see who could run that, you know, backfield for the 49ers. So, again, I just, I wouldn't touch any of those. Um, You know, that's the interesting thing, I feel like, in this game, to be honest, is, you know, a lot of the players are kind of hit and miss, you know, kind of boomer bust players, you know, like a... Like a Tyreek Hill, I mean, he's he's a great example of that. I mean, in my opinion, obviously, you know, he's probably the fastest guy in the game right now. I mean, you could say, 
maybe Lamar Jackson, something like that. But I mean, there's, there's, I, I, you know, and you could do the next gen stats and all that, but I mean, that freaking dude flies down the field and, you know, I could, he, he's the type of guy you could put up an easy 150, but at the same time, if, you know, the 49ers see it as, well, we got to take him out of the game. You know, we got to put a corner on him with a safety up top and double team him to take him out. I mean, again, I just, I wouldn't touch that. If you're going to go with any receiver in this game, you know, when it comes to receiving yards or touchdowns, something like that, I would go with Kelsey. Kelsey's a pretty consistent player. And at the same time, I think he also is the type of player that Mahomes will go to when he's in trouble. So let's take a look at Kelsey. Receiver props. Let's see what we got here. Yeah, I mean, Kittle, he's he's another guy. I mean, because the thing is, he, don't get me wrong, phenomenal player, but you know, they could have him in blocking the whole time, for all you know. I mean, again, if it's a huge running game. Yeah, Tyreek Tyree Hill, you got 76.5 yards as the over-under. Uh, money line on that, no matter which way you go, over or under, it's a minus 115, which... It's not terrible, but again, he's such a boomer bust guy. You can't, you know, we all we all know how gambling goes. It's all it's all taking risks, but I think that's a huge risk to take to kind of put that on um, receptions for Hill five and a half. Still, because again, if they're if they're double covering him, I mean, I would slam that under, but. Yeah, Travis Kelsey, 76 and a half. I, I, I even think that's a little high. So that's, you know, again, I I really wouldn't touch a lot of the a lot of the receiver bets. Um now when it comes to just crazy prop bets, we all know coin toss. Coin toss is a big one everyone likes to do. Right now they got let's see, coin toss. Yeah, it's minus 101 for both heads or tails. You know, I mean, the thing is, like I said, Super Bowl, probably the biggest biggest gambling day of the year. I saw this stat online. They said that 26 million people place a bet for the Super Bowl. And 6.9 billion, yes, billion with a B, dollars gets bet on for the Super Bowl. So, I mean, you know, you're you're talking crazy money, and you can bet on all sorts of things, you know. Color of the Gatorade that gets thrown on the winning team. I thought that was another crazy thing that happened this week, I saw, that, you know, after the whole, you know, unfortunate death of Kobe Bryant, they... A lot of people were betting on the Gatorade color being purple in honor of Kobe Bryant, you know, the Lakers purple, but I mean, I don't see how that would make any sense to be honest. So, but again, you can, when it comes to Super Bowl, you can obviously, you can bet on anything you want. Um, 
But like I said, the three bets I went with, 49ers winning the game, hitting the under on the total point score of 54 and hitting the under on the 299.5 passing yards for Patrick Mahomes. All right, now it's time to get into the Tom Brady nonsense this week. Uh, as we all know, Super Bowl's a big week. Everyone's down in Miami with the NFL players, former players, GMs. I mean, it's just a huge media circus. And, you know, you got Radio Row with all the sports talk radio shows. You got podcasts, analysts, all given their, you know... I feel like every person that left the chair out of all the Boston Sports Talk radio shows, it was, all right, what's your take on Brady? Where is he going to play next year? And, you know, so many so many ridiculous things were said. I don't even want to get into every single one. But the one person that <laughs> I am going to talk about, and we'll get into his thoughts is what now leads us to the moron of the day. Hey, moron! Hey, moron! Duh! Look at me! I'm the one water boy, duh! I got a wooden spoon, Peter King has been covering the NFL since the 80s. So, we're talking about a guy who's been doing this for about 40 years. Now, who knows, maybe he's lost his fastball, I don't know. Um, But you're talking about a guy who, you know, since 1992 has been on the board of selectors for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Like, we're talking about a guy who's been doing this for a long time. But during this offseason, his two takes on Tom Brady's whole situation are probably the dumbest I've heard. I mean, you'd have to be a complete moron to think that these two things would happen. So first, this was... January 8th, okay, so this is about, what, a week after the, not even a week after the Patriots got knocked out of the playoffs? Peter King on NBC Sports Pro Football Talk. (laughs) I don't even... He goes, and I quote, One of the guys I think... And I know people are going to laugh at this. I think Bill Belichick would really like to work with his Andy Dalton. Because Andy Dalton is a football player, you know? He's not Tom Brady. He's not going to go down in the Pantheon. I get it. Guys who are going to go down in the Pantheon at age 32 are not available. Okay, Russell Wilson's not available. I think Andy Dalton would be a very compelling guy to either be their quarterback for a while, or to be their bridge guy to the next quarterback, or to take Jarrett Stidham under his wing as Brady did some this year and make the best of Jarrett Stidham for the 2021 and beyond. Okay, there's just so many moronic things in just one paragraph. 
First of all, could you imagine if Tom Brady leaves the Patriots and goes to another team? All right. I mean, first of all, that's a that is something that not a lot of people could ever think would happen, could ever even imagine. So that would be a shock in the first place. But then, what if I told you, yeah, I know, we're going ESPN 30 for 30 here, what if I told you? What if I told you that then, after letting Tom Brady go, the Patriots went out and traded for Andy Dalton? Because that's another thing with Andy Dalton. Not only do you have to pay him, because you have to pay him whatever he's owed next season, which I think is about $18 million, something like that. I mean, who knows with, you know, the cap or what the Bengals with the pay or whatever. But they would have to trade something for a guy like Andy freaking Dalton. Okay? You're talking about a guy who's 0-4 in his playoff career. Andy Dalton. I mean... That that would be like, and then, and, then he, and then he says, "I think Bill Belichick would really like to work with Andy Dalton. He's a foot because Andy Dalton is a football player. Yeah, he is a football player. That's like the only intelligent thing you said, but that is the most meaningless thing I've ever heard in my life. Okay, he's a football player. What the what the hell does that mean?" Like that I mean I mean he's a football player. There's fifty-three guys on thirty-two teams in the league. So we're talking about over fifteen hundred football players. I'll pro- I'll take any of them. I'll take a lineman to play quarterback for the Patriots if Tom Brady were to leave over Andy freaking Dalton. Okay? So that right there was the first stupid thing he said which was again on January 8th now all right you know you could say well you know maybe maybe Peter King maybe he was having a rough day maybe you know maybe he was a little tired you never know I mean he's dude's pretty freaking old what is he like 70s I don't even know I mean like I said I think I think this might <laughs> I think this might be the nursing home calling right now for Peter King. Well, 62, I mean, that's not terribly old, but but good Lord. So, okay, but again, so let's just say that statement about Andy Dalton, let's just say, you know, we'll, we'll give it a pass. Let's just say, you know, maybe he's having an off day, wasn't thinking straight, we'll give it a pass. Now, this week, he was at, on WEI, which one of the sports talk radio shows in Boston. They ask him, of course, Tom Brady, that's always the hard-hitting question that all these sports talk radio shows are talking about now. And he goes, (laughs) the one that I believe is a sleeping giant is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, again, okay, you look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you say, all right, Bruce Arians, head coach. Pretty solid offensive head coach. You know, we're not talking about one of the greatest head, you know, head coaches of all time. But, you know, again, pretty solid head coach. Pretty good offensive mind. A lot of experience. Worked with a lot of quarterbacks. You know, 
Kurt Warner, Carson Palmer, Ben Roethlisberger, you know, worked with a good amount of really good quarterbacks in his coaching career. Then you look at the offense. Pretty good offensive line. You got two solid tight ends. You know, O.J. Howard, a good young up-and-coming tight end. You got Cameron Brait, solid veteran tight end. You got two wide receiver weapons, two deep threats like a Mike Evans and a Chris Godwin. But we're talking about Tampa Bay. I mean, just think of the city of Tampa Bay. Would Tom Brady ever go to Tampa Bay? I mean, that that is just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Now, I just, like, you know, I think it was they came out with the, the betting odds of where Tom Brady's going to play next season. That was, like, the big thing that came out. Now, first choice was the Patriots, minus 35. That was the money line. The favorite, if he doesn't stay with the Patriots, is the Chargers, plus 400. Which, again, I mean, that is the team that I think would make the most sense. If you're talking about another team, I think that would be the team. They got next Colts at plus 900, which... Again, that's just it's just one of those cities that I just it's like a Tampa Bay. It's kind of a, a meaningless small market team. Like Tom Brady's just not gonna go there. It's not happening. And you look at Tampa Bay, I mean, they were such a crappy team this year. Their defense is such a boomer bust type defense. I felt like they were either sh- like shutting out teams and getting three turnovers, or they were, you know, the other team was putting 40 points on them. Um you know, so that, like, Tampa Bay, I, it just, and again, you know, okay, you look at the offense, sure, but no, like, you know, so you you go from sounding like a complete moron saying that you think Bel, Bill Belichick wants to work with a guy like Andy Dalton, and then you say, well, I could see Tom Brady going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, that, that is just... And again, this is a guy that's been doing this for 40 years. So, Peter King, I will award you with the moron of the day. Alright, Bruins last night picking up a solid win, honestly. It was a phenomenal game last night, especially if you're a hockey fan that loves hitting and fighting. Um, Bruins came out to be honest, they looked a little flat at the beginning. Uh, they gave up that first goal to Patrick Laine, Um And pretty much what ended up happening on that play was kind of like what I was mentioning in my last episode with Charlie McAvoy having to step up. It was a play where, uh, you know, he was with his man and then he kind of let him go. And then, then that guy made a nice, easy pass in front to Line A. He put it home, so... Right from the start, you're like, oh, geez, you know, Jets come out, quick goal, McAvoy kind of screws up on the play somewhat, Um, so things weren't looking too good. Then, luckily, the Bruins were able to get a five-on-three power play. Bergeron picks up the goal on a nice shot from a pretty good pass from Marshawn. Um, The big thing in this game, though, was that second period, Um, and kind of a... Pretty much the theme of the game was the the hitting and the fighting, which 
as an old-time hockey fan like I am, you got to love it. Um, so first I kind of start off with McAvoy, huge hit on Shifley. Literally, guy gets over the blue line. McAvoy just stands him right up, pops him. Totally clean hit. Jets guy comes over, throws the gloves down, fights him. Now, this is like kind of the theme of the game. Um, there were four situations, and honestly, the four situations, all of them, clean hits. But they were all big hits, and the teams wanted to stick up for their teammates, which again was a thing that I was having an issue with with the Bruins in the first half of the season. Um, but both teams tonight, and obviously as a Bruins fan, I loved it with them sticking up for their teammates. So first thing was McAvoy, big hit on Shifley. Shifley's teammate came over, don't remember who the guy was, instigated, fought McAvoy. Then you had Marshawn, he kind of got kind of got blindsided, but it was a clean hit. Uh, then obviously Marshawn wasn't the biggest fan of that. Threw his gloves down, fought the guy. Then you had, uh, who is it? I think it was Coyle. Yeah, Coyle got hit. Kind of, you know, didn't knock him down, but it was kind of a blind, again, another blindsided hit. Clean hit, but a blindsided hit. Uh, Carlo came over, instigated, fought the guy. And then you had, uh, what was it? Carson Kuhlman. He was another one. Fought the, you know, fought the guy. Worst part about the game was unfortunately, you know, like I said, this new age NHL. It was it was great to see four big clean hits and then to see that guy that got hit, his teammate coming over to stick up for him, fight the guy. But nowadays, again, NHL, you got the instigator penalty, the misconduct. So it's like, you know, these guys, they're doing the right thing. They're coming over, you know, after their teammate gets popped, they come over, help their teammate out, stick up for him, fight, drop the gloves, fight the guy that put the big hit on him. And then they get the five minutes for fighting, they get the two-minute power play for the other team for the instigator, and then on top of it, they get the ten-minute game of conduct penalty. And it's like, NHL, I know, and again, this, this has been a thing that's been happening for years, but it's like, I feel like with this game it was magnified, just because you had four guys doing the right thing, sticking up for their teammates, and then they were the ones that got screwed, or also, at the same time, screwed their team over with the power plays. So from the Bruins' perspective, honestly, I don't mind it at all because the, when the Bruins play their best is when they're on special teams. The past, I'd say since Cassidy started, they've always been top five in the league in power play, top five in the league in penalty kill. So I'm always fine when it comes to special teams with the Bruins. And that's why, in my opinion, I like it when they stick up for their players. Um... And what was great about tonight is you had guys like McAvoy fighting, Marshawn fighting, Kuhlman fighting. I mean, those aren't your big, rough and tough players, and they were willing to drop the gloves, which you gotta love. Um, you know, Carlo fought. I mean, he's a big dude, 6'5", but he's not a fighter either, so you also gotta love that. Um, 
But, you know, the big thing that happened with tonight was that, you know, with all that fighting and hits and all that and the physicality, the game came down to special teams. And, you know, the Bruins, they had one five-on-three power play. They took advantage with it with the Bergeron goal. The Jets had two five-on-three penalties. They couldn't get anything. So looking at the final game stats, Bruins were 2-for-4 on the power play, both goals on the power play. Jets were 0-for-6. And then the shots, Jets actually ended up out-shooting the Bruins 38-25, to and probably the reason for that is, like I said, that second period, I felt like almost the whole time the Jets were on the power play. Um... And, you know, Tuca was big this game. He played a phenomenal game. And and the thing is, too, with Tuca, you know when he's on immediately. And when he's in the goal, he's what they call, you know, a position goalie. And he always needs to be in the right position. And when he's in the right position is, is when he is on his game. When he has the angle, when he's in the right position, when he's able to get over fast enough and square himself up to the shooter... That's when he's on his game. So you see a lot of these replays from last night. And a lot of these saves, there's nothing spectacular with them. But again, that's when Tuca is on his game. He ended up getting the number one star for the night. And he definitely deserved it. Because like I said, he he was making saves last night. And you know he made them look like they were no big deal. And that's when he's on his game. And he even, he even took a shot to the mask. Which um, it undid the... the the strap on the back of his helmet and I'm thinking well geez you know this guy just came off a concussion um you know takes a shot directly to the face hard enough to undo the strap on his mask and didn't phase him at all so you know from a Bruins perspective you got you gotta love that and you know with McAvoy like I said started the game kind of on a rough note I think he was a, a pretty big factor in, in letting that one goal go in. Um, but he came back, came up with that big hit at the line on Shifley that kind of set the tone, which was great. And then for the rest of the game, he made a lot of great plays, especially on the penalty kill. That was huge. I mean, like I said, Jets were 0 for 6, so that was a big deal. Um, and then you got that goal. The game winning goal ended up being from Jake DeBrusque, power play goal. Um, and DeBrusque, he's, you know, he's that type of guy, you, you need him to score goals, I mean, he's a f- former first round pick, I, I've always said, I mean, I think eventually, maybe not to the same extent, but I think someday he could be almost like what Marshawn is now, I mean, they're smaller players, but they're gritty players, they'll go in the corners, they'll battle for pucks, they'll stay in front of the net, they'll take hits, um, you know, and I think there was another stat I saw when DeBrus scores, like the, the Bruins have this phenomenal record and, you know, it, it's one of those kind of random stats, but it's like when he scores, they have an unbelievable mark. Hold on. Let me, let me look up this stat. Cause like I said, it's a pretty, pretty unreal stat. Let's see here. Let's find an article. Let's find an article. 
Saints stat when DeBrus scores. Bruins record. Let's look it up. Let's look it up. Same goal scoring stat. Alright, brings me... Well, this article's from March of last year. But you know what? I'll give it to you anyways. I'm sure it's gotten better this year. So this was March 20th. This past March 20th. When DeBrusque scores a goal, the Bruins are 35-4. and 4-1 four. Four and one in the postseason. And that was not counting this past postseason. So... But again, phenomenal record when DeBrus scores. Now you know that's kind of one of those random stats, but but again, he's a he's a big piece. You need him to score. He's gonna be on that second line wing. He needs to step up so that you know that's good to see. So I mean, first game, first game after the All Star break, can't complain as a Bruins fan. They looked great. Did everything they needed to do. Uh, like I said, tomorrow night. They'll be playing at Minnesota, so it'll be interesting to see how they look on, on that back-to-back. I assume Halak will be in goal. To be honest, he looked kind of shaky um, before the All-Star break when he was playing that number one goaltender role because Rask had the concussion. So I think that'll be the thing to watch tomorrow night to see how he does because obviously you know, you're going to need Halak down the stretch here because... The big thing with Rask is the less he plays, the better he plays in the playoffs. So I want Rask to play as the least amount of games as possible. That's what I would like to see from Rask. So um, I'm thinking next episode will most likely be on Tuesday. We'll give a recap of the Super Bowl, kind of go over everything that happened. Uh, we'll see how my bets did. We'll see if there were any other crazy bets that hit or didn't hit. Um, and, you know, see if anything else comes up. But I think that'll be the main purpose of Tuesday's show, just giving that recap of the Super Bowl, breaking everything down. So, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, definitely download pod my podcast if you haven't. Subscribe to it, like it, rate it, review it, and uh, yeah, we'll get back to you on Tuesday.